Sick, the podcast uh, that you will know and love that has gone on some hiatuses recently. But we're back. Uh, before we begin, I would just like to tell you all that we're recording today on the stolen lands of the Eora and Kulin Nations. Sovereignty was never ceded and this was and always will be Aboriginal land. Thank you, Joe. Welcome to episode 16 of Chronically Fully Sick, the little podcast that put... Uh, but only when fatigue isn't kicking its ass and isn't battling an enormous, dark, bottomless chasm of missing serotonin. Uh, my name is Chloe Sargent, and with me is my sexy fellow redheaded co-host Joanna Nilsson. Uh, Rang a podcast, yeah, <laughs> yay! Um, if you want to get updates on us and the pod, you can do that on Twitter at Chronic Full Sick, Instagram at Chronically Fully Sick, or you can get in touch with us via our website, chronicallyfullysick.com. We do also have a group on Facebook called Chronically Fully Sick as well, which is filled with lovely spoonies who chat about all things chronic illness. And also, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe because, as always, we are very talented and professional podcasters. Do it. Do, do it. it oh, yeah. What was the uh, one that we got recently? I don't know. Someone wrote under user Joe, and I do not think this was me, despite my habit of like having too many painkillers and popping on the internet. Yeah. Um, it says very good professional podcasters, and then this podcast cured my chronic millennialism. What does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure if it's a compliment or like a bit of like shade are you being shitting thrown. At us? Yes. yes. <laughs> I think they are. It sounds like a little bit like drag queen shady, but um, you know, either yeah, way, you- either way, I love it. <laughs> Are you dragging our our chronic vocal fry? (laughs) Joe, yeah, what's happening with you? I got a bunch of blood tests, right? And as suspected, I reckon I've got celiac disease. Yeah. And because the cure is to stop eating gluten, I just reckon I'll stop doing that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. um, They were like, "You, you have no vitamins in your body. We think it's because you have celiac disease. Interesting. Um, See, they thought that I I did for a little while and I gave up gluten for about six months and the only thing that I was truly sad about was having to give up beer. That was the only – I was like, bread, sad, pasta, sad, beer, devastated. (laughs) No, I don't don't drink beer. It's – and like Melbourne's full of disgusting craft beers that taste like potpourri. So yeah, no true. big loss for me, really. Absolutely. Um, so I'm desperately trying to get some iron into my body. Mm. Um, and then off to see a pain specialist <gasps> later in the month for about 400 bucks. Lovely. Um, never seen one of those before. So I'm just yeah. going to go in and yeah, tell them not to tell me to do yoga or something. I yeah. don't know, man. Well, yeah. it's in Richmond, so like, you know, if they don't do anything good for me, you can just pop out on the street and buy some heroin or something. Yeah, of course. You know, you've got options. I've got options. You've got so many options. Um, um, I had like a massive headache yesterday because I went to a punk show. Yeah. Which was my first problem. And then this guy who reckons he's like hell punk or whatever mm. finished his drink and with this massive, you know, badass gesture just swept a chunk of ice over his shoulder and it hit me directly in the eyeball. Lovely. So I just kicked him really hard in the spine. Good. So 
don't think that like because I'm wearing orthopedic heels mm. and a rabbit fur coat that I won't, you know, bash you, drop you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We're but so, I'm finding we, we might be chronically ill, but that doesn't mean we won't curb stomp you. Okay, because we absolutely yeah. will do that. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> I found with COVID, a lot of the venues have actually put in these weird ways of getting into the venue because of capacity. Yeah. Sp- splitting things up a bit. So Sydney's you had to the go same. up for Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you had to go up this massive fire escape kind of thing to get inside. Mm. And then there's no seats and there was someone with a mobility aid and it just was a bit yuck. I don't know. Yuck. I'm finding like that's I don't know, you have to go through like kitchens or whatever to go yeah. see a band these days. And accessibility <laughs> stuff has just completely gone out the window. Like even places that were okay but like obviously nowhere is mm. usually great but you mm. know places that were okay before now like you said you've got to go some in some weird back corridor and up you know even if there's one or two stairs that just makes it completely inaccessible all of these sort of laws like about fire hazards and stuff like fire exits have window. just gone out the window <laughs> mm. if there's a fire we're all fucked basically like ugh. at least anyway. you know we can burn to death, but we won't have COVID. It'll be fine. Yeah, you know, we've got to go one way or another. So I went to SA recently to uh, visit my family after my That's after South my Australia for yes. our overseas listeners. South Australia, uh, Adelaide. So, yeah, I went to go visit my family. My mum obviously organised a surprise 30th birthday party for me. Um, oh, that cake was so fucking cute, dude. Yeah, so my mum. So basically my birthday was in, like, the local country pub right and it's basically my mum managed to organize definitely the gayest event this pub had ever oh, yeah. seen it had rainbow balloons and my mum organized a cake that had a rupaul theme and so it had like rupaul's face on it and quotes from rupaul's drag race and i was like this country pub is probably like what the fuck is all this <laughs> like what's going on here but no, it was really great. I got to see a lot of um, extended family that I don't get to see that often and all of that kind of thing. So that was really nice. But um, yes, obviously coming back, it's taken me a few days to recover. So, you know, it's just one of those things that like holidays are all great and you take time off. But sometimes you, when you are chronically ill, you come back more exhausted than when you left. So yeah, recovering from that. Still got the weird fucking psoriasis thing that I got <laughs> after that virus and... <laughs> Basically, like, they give me an authority (laughs) script for steroid cream. So I have to get, like, 10 at a time. And it costs me, like, nearly $100 for this steroid cream. And I'm like, what? Oh, God. It's just rich people bullshit. (laughs) Is it even working? Can you show me where it is? It's, like, on my stomach and stuff. It's really hard to see. I'll do it later. Um, It's, like all over my stomach and that kind of thing. And it's just like little red dots. But if I leave it, then they'll all join together and turn into like psoriasis patches. So it's just oh, like... cute. Yeah, cute for me. So yeah, but it's more like these creams don't actually get rid of anything. They just manage it. So it's just like, so you've just got to keep buying this expensive cream to keep it all on the down low. Otherwise you look like you've got chicken pox permanently. Oh, that's that's nice. I know. I love cute it. for me, right? Yeah. Mm. So yeah, that's 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 really all the updates I have. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about some news today, but it's not mm. like you know our regular news that's like semi-serious. Sometimes I don't know. I've noticed that our makeup store here and beauty store, I guess Mecca. Mm. I don't know. Do they have it in other places? I don't know. I think it is just Australian. I think. Mm. Yeah. Mm. It's like a skincare anyway. and makeup store and one of those. Problematically like enough, kind of thing. 
It's called Mecca, which is weird. Mm. Um, but anyway, lately I've noticed and a lot of the customers there have noticed that they have been trying to dip their toe into the wellness space, which, mm. you know, we love, don't yes, we, Chloe? Yes, we're big, big, big fans of the wellness space. <laughs> So they got absolutely slaughtered, mm, uh, on throttled on yeah. social media and in the in the legitimate media because they were going to have a virtual wellness event. Oh, sorry, a well a wellness summit, a summit. Mecca Life oh um, on the internet, like they like the United Nations. Like it's just no, I know. So, oh, anyway, yep. Continue. Yeah. <laughs> the United Nations, except they like you know sit around and chuck up jade eggs up their vaginas yeah. or whatever yeah anyway on Lovely. that note guess who the keynote speaker was reckon it might be someone pretty goopy mm. pretty goopy yes it's our favorite gwyneth paltrow mm. yes mm. a very sane and normal person so everyone on the internet cracked the fuck up about having uh, goop on this uh, Mecca wellness summit. Because they've so been stocking Dr. goop products for the past like six months or something, I think. So Yeah. Yeah. So Dr. Nikki Stamp wrote on the event's Facebook page, Paltrow and goop peddle enormous amounts of misinformation and make money by preying on women's insecurities. Every time we endorse this behavior, we allow it, allow it to continue. Mecca has always been a champion for women. So now when women are at risk, will you step up to the plate and cancel this terrible event? Or will you let Australian women be further exposed to her nonsense? Well, that's really true as well. Cause like Mecca would always have big to-dos about like International Women's Day and do campaigns about women's rights and that kind of stuff. And then have done now a complete pivot to frauding women with all of this kind of shit so it is this very event called of them. the beauty of wellness which is set oh. to take place on friday the 21st of may and Yuck. someone else wrote um selling makeup is one thing but peddling woo like this is another said another person amongst the 300 plus comments woo an australian slang term for scientifically dubious i was wondering about that is woo an australian term like, i don't woo -woo. think it is i yeah, swear I don't think that is International listeners, can you let us know? Because I thought that this was a term that was used everywhere, but apparently, mm. according to this article, it's like you saying it, it's woo-woo is mm. just an Australian thing. Fascinating. I'll be taking my business elsewhere if you continue to peddle this dangerous woo. One commenter agreed. Well, a third described Paltrow is as an unqualified peddler of woo. That is um, And with each, spot on. Oh, someone else said, uh, what in the bee venom therapy, vaginal eggs, healing, pseudoscience are you peddling here? <laughs> that sounds like something I would have said. Yeah. Was that you? That was definitely sounds no. like you. <laughs> no. So this Facebook group that discusses like products that you can get at Mecca and that kind of thing on Facebook, it um, there was a post about some oil called yoni oil that you put on your vulva and it's supposed to increase elasticity or something. And it's $73 and it's obviously complete bullshit. I, I, I was actually quite surprised that all of the comments, like so many of the comments on that thread in that group were telling Mecca to fuck off with this shit. Mm. That was really... I didn't, like, I thought that people would sort of be a bit more, oh, I'll give it a go kind of thing mm. to see. But no, though, everyone was like, God damn it, piss off with this. This is ridiculous. The, the Instagram post itself said, 
Um, so hang on. The brand Spruit Holy Yoni Oil by Moon Juice, which Ooh. retails for a staggering $73 per 30 milliliters for mm. intimate care. Holy Yoni Oil is formulated with an adaptogenic blend of Shishandra berry ex- extract, Bulgarian rose oil, vitamin E and sweet almond oil. This blend helps to hydrate and keep the skin soft and supple. I can guarantee it's just straight up like almond oil. Yeah. Which you can it get for like 10, improve- 10 bucks at Chemist Warehouse. <laughs> oh, ew. Wait. It helps to improve skin elasticity and helps to keep skin soft and supple while pr- providing an arousing scent. Oh, God, because apparently... See, this is where the issue lies with so much of this wellness stuff, is that by peddling all of this kind of stuff, it's essentially telling women that their vagina, the way that their vagina smells naturally is not right. Like, they need some mm. kind of product to make their vagina smell better, which is such fucking bullshit. Oh, God. Anyway. Or it's, not, I was, it's not elastic enough. It's Yeah, it's not elastic enough. It needs to be more elastic. It needs to smell like... What would you say? Berries or some shit? Some, oh, I don't know. Oh, God. Anyway, your vagina doesn't smell like berries, and that's totally fine and normal. Mine and smells like a fillet of fish. <laughs> a fillet of fish. A meat fish. A fish. <laughs> Yum. Delicious. Yeah. But so- their excuse, dude, is like, at Mecca, we're all about offering our customers choice. Mm. Empowerment includes being able to choose what's right for you. That is such a fucking cop-out. I'm and so I think sick of this shit. Borrowing that kind of rhetoric that's used for, like, you know, the right to have an abortion and all of that kind of yeah. stuff, using that sort of, like, feminist rhetoric about shit like this that is so anti-feminist and just so anti-science, it's I just, know. oh, they're just borrowing this it's, language for their own financial benefit and for something that is... It makes it even more insulting. It totally does, yeah. So, yeah, that is the uh, end of this story. You do not have to have a vagina that smells like berries. That is not normal. Don't spend $73 on some almond oil that is just going to make your vagina weirdly oily and okay yoni the word yoni yeah okay unless this person speaks sanskrit which is Mm. a a language that probably you know a really small percentage of hindu monks speak totally yeah i don't think you need someone that says the word yoni in your life no absolutely not Uh, even if you do have a friend who's a hindu monk i would say that them talking about yonis to you is probably a bit inappropriate so either way kick this person to the curb no yonis allowed the only people i've ever heard use the word yoni are byron bay white white people with dreads why yeah white people with dreads who live in byron bay there's so many problems with this (laughs) but don't Mm. worry guys because mecca's just offering you choices so fuck them Our next topic that we that we want to talk about is um, something that I've heard a lot of people with chronic illness talk about, and that is having imposter syndrome about your illness or your health. I guess the way that I've always thought about it is, and the way that I've always felt it, is that firstly, I feel like sometimes I'm not sick enough to use the terms like chronic, like chronically ill or disabled, and then other times because of so many different elements over the years and the way that I've been treated because of my chronic illness, my brain has turned around to me and gone, are you sure this is actually real? 
are you sure mm. you're actually sick? Maybe this is maybe this is actually all in your head. I feel like there are so many different elements to this, you know, and the reasons why this happens. So is there is is this something you've experienced as well, Joe? Yeah, definitely. And when I was reading some of the articles associated with this, I was like, oh man, just at me next time. Totally. So, but just to backpedal a little bit, imposter syndrome itself is like it's a psychological term described back in the late seventies. The imposter syndrome phenomenon sort of appears amongst a select group of high achieving women and that's kind of where it's where its pocket is a lot of people kind of are really familiar with this feeling of women and afab people of that their success is more attributed to luck rather than their own skills or qualifications Mm. and that you're just faking being good at what you do and that you're a fraud and that everyone will find out that you're actually incompetent. Mm. And so a lot of professional women, I think, struggle with this. And so mm. when we talk about imposter syndrome in chronic illness, we're talking about, am I actually unwell? Yeah. Um, am I a fraud? Am I Am I a fraud? Yeah. It's something that I've heard spoken about time and time again from people in the chronic illness and disability community. It is unbelievable that it, that seems to be the common thread. And so mm. I, I guess I just wanted to chat about like why, what some of the reasons are that maybe this is such a common experience across the board. I think one of the major ones is the medical system and like bad treatment or lack of treatment from doctors. I think that has a lot to answer for in this in this kind of case. I think a lot of us in the community have had the situation of doctors not believing us and even straight out telling us that it's it's all in our heads and all of that kind of stuff and you know when we get blood tests and our blood tests show that we're the healthiest person in the world except we can't get out of bed. I think after years and years of that happening and just complete lack of treatment and care from the medical system I think after a little while you do start to question your own sanity a little bit you do start to question whether maybe this is all in my head Mm, totally and this quote from this article that I've put in here by Sarah Wells um, sort of I think describes that really well now we know that imposter syndrome makes you feel like a phony imagine being told all your life that your symptoms are in your head that the pain that you are experiencing has no cause so much so that you begin to doubt it is real yourself and then when finally often as an adult you get a diagnosis you're still in doubt yourself the decades of feeling like a fraud in your own body is really hard to shift when you feel pain even after the validation of a diagnosis you question if it is as bad as you are imagining this feeling of being an imposter can be as crippling as the pain itself absolutely that like i Mm. absolutely could have written that that is just so spot on you know when you like uh, go to the hospital and they say can you rate your pain out of 10 and they say that chronic people with chronic pain have a, should have a totally different rating scale what's a 10 is it burning alive on the stake is it joan of arc yeah. what's one i'm gonna need more context here <laughs> yeah give me let me retire to my mind palace and paint a picture here i need some more information totally also like having an invisible illness or a dynamic disability is a big part of this there's a lot of people that have dynamic disability which is you know sometimes they will be as this person says I'm not sure if I'm disabled enough some days I can exercise and go to work and have a drink with my friends without a problem and some days I cannot physically drag my body out of bed Mm -hmm. so this is for people you know that might 
sometimes need mobility aids um, and some days they don't. Some yep. days they might need to sit at an accessible workspace or some days they might not have to. And that, that accurately describes me. Some days I'll have to, you know, use my cane and <clears throat> use a mobility aid and then other days I can go to work and go for a drink after with my friends and be totally fine. I guess with the sort of our chronic illnesses, like the very nature of those illnesses being invisible, that kind of contributes to this as well. I think my example that I always think of with this is that I always feel this immense sense of guilt if I take or ask for a seat on public transport Mm. because I immediately feel like people are thinking that I'm not disabled and lying about it or I'm I don't look disabled enough and so therefore it then plays into my head whether I am actually disabled enough to ask for a seat on public transport and whether I'm allowed to do that. In mainstream culture and media, um, the term disabled usually refers to people with static or visible disabilities. Absolutely. And it doesn't matter that I'm about to like faint on the train because my pain is that bad and my fatigue's that bad. It still looks like I'm a completely able-bodied person just standing on the train. So people couldn't tell the difference between whether I was okay or not. Things like that also play into the imposter syndrome thing as well. Like you don't feel like you're disabled enough to call yourself disabled in situations Mm. where you should actually be able to ask for seats or accessibility or things like that. It is. I I always think about um, people with GI conditions needing disabled bathroom access Mm -hmm. or like say someone with an ostomy bag needing to use a larger bathroom with a sink in it and stuff but they don't look they don't present quote-unquote disabled or you know aren't trying to access a bathroom in a wheelchair so you know I I think I I would always be scared of people glaring at me or yelling at me Mm. you know will my boss think I'm lying if I ask for accommodations but you don't use them every day or totally. I don't have a mobility aid with me but I sit in a designated accessible area on like the, the train or the tram or something like that and it's know? also a big thing at work as well like having to hide stuff or present as able-bodied at work to make sure that people think that you're functional enough to work that's also a massive thing as well I think that's a massive contributor you know I think getting getting your brain out of the point of masking illnesses which we get so used to doing contributes definitely to this imposter syndrome if you tell Mm. yourself I'm fine nothing's wrong ha 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 for long enough but absolutely I think it's got to like bulge out in other areas thinking that you know you don't have rights to certain things that will make your life easier which is just kicking myself in the face constantly I guess yeah it's it's making life harder for ourselves it's such a big process and it's something that it isn't just you know cool I've now unlearnt ableism like it's something that we have to do every day to be able to keep chipping away at that to be able to make sure Mm. that we're taking care of ourselves properly but yeah after years of being told that you know there's nothing wrong with you and you know you don't look disabled or you don't look sick and all of that kind of thing it does all combine eventually into this imposter syndrome that we so many of us feel yeah do you um identify with that checklist in there um I've put eight ways your imposter shows up when you have a chronic illness mm-hmm. so we've got feeling like a fraud in your own body which I think I have experienced <laughs> I before like, yes. I definitely identify this because <laughs> yeah. when, when the pain goes away in your head you kind of say oh was it there in the first place you tend to like question whether things were as bad as what you actually remember them being or if you've like sort of bigged it up in your head you know 
Refusing your own success is the next on the checklist. I'm a big perpetrator of that. What about you? Hmm. How do you interpret that? You tell me. Do you know how we were sort of talking about how it's a career sort of thing with professional Mm. people that experience imposter syndrome? Mine's now sort of like innately tied in with my chronic illness. So I constantly feel like I'm not doing the best that I can possibly do. I'm not actually that successful. I'm not doing amazing but that's because of my chronic illness. And so then I have to like reset my way of thinking. I'm actually doing great. There's all of these things that I'm doing, which is super fucking cool. 14 year old Chloe would be super happy with all the shit that I'm doing now. And yet still, oh no, my chronic illness is holding me back. I always beat myself up over it, Mm. which is something I'm really trying to focus on at the moment and stop that way of thinking because it is very detrimental. That's Uh, interesting. I think I could possibly be doing more if I wasn't sick all the time. But I mean, I guess there's that intrinsic problem of thinking that um, producing something, being active blah, 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 is Mm. essential to your success. Um, The the whole capitalist notions of your work being You have to be a productive member of society. Yeah. 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 Your work being your, like, total guiding mechanism as to whether or not you're a um, good or functional human being. I think Mm. that even though I'm a pretty staunchly anti-capo socialist kind of Annoying pinko, goat drinking, <laughs> lefty, hairy legged, <laughs> residing, um, yeah. no bra wearing, greasy head, commie, as my dad would call me. That's a mouthful. Uh, <laughs> sure. I, I still have to really unlearn this stuff. Totally. And I think all of that is tied together. Like imposter syndrome is definitely tied together with these capitalist notions of, around work and productivity yeah, that we absolutely. all place on ourselves. Yeah. And I think having like a chronic illness or disability gives us an extra impetus to unlearn these things. Mm. Yeah, it is, you do have to unlearn this because there is just this innate feeling that if you're not doing work and earning money and doing all this kind of stuff, you're not yeah, a functional member of society, whereas that's not the case at all. Like, it's just yeah, your, exactly. your worth is not tied to how productive you are and how much money you make and all of that kind of thing. It's It absolutely is not that way, but for some reason that's what we're taught in this Yeah, society, whereas, like, sucks. the focus needs to be on being a good community member and being mm. a good citizen and all of that kind of stuff. Totally. So I think about that all the time. Um, mm. So th- what about the next one? I think we've all doubted our symptoms or disability. Yep, doubting your symptoms or disability, yes. Uh, I think we, we, we've covered that one. Medical gaslighting yep. is the next. We covered that one. Being a perfectionist. Like mm. I turn into one because yeah, you I do. don't want, yes. <laughs> You're also like a massive workhorse as well. You're just like, I'm going to work 70 hours this week and then like, and not yeah. sleep. Mm. Um, ableism, that's the next one. That's what we've... We we're kind of just talking about I think I missed seeing help as a sign of weakness oh I never ask for help on anything I never ask for help I'm so bad at it and when I do I constantly apologize over and over again for asking them for the simplest possible thing you know, oh like, yeah I would rather starve to death than ask someone to like get me a yeah. snack or something I'm better with it than <laughs> what I used to be I could literally be like bleeding on the floor and I'll be like don't you dare like, don't you dare. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then finally, comparison with others, which I think is a, a big thing with imposter syndrome because it's that um that whole concept of, like, the hierarchy of disability, which, again, like, is sort of tied into unlearning internalised ableism. Do you know Do you know what I was thinking? And I, this is really weird. Mm. I was like, is Chloe sicker than me? 
Yeah. Who's the sickest? Yeah. Who's the sickest person? Yeah. It's this bizarre situation where it's like it doesn't fucking matter. But for some reason these these thoughts still pop into our head. You know, am I disabled enough to call myself disabled when I'm standing next to someone that has static disability, you know, and they have to mm. use mobility aids all the time, whereas I have to See, I would use never. mine so- some of the time. I but would it's, never. It's such a bizarre thing, and that is just straight up societally instilled ableism. You do refer to yourself as disabled, right? Mm, I do, yeah. See, I don't. Mm. I, I that's like that's everyone's being... choice, you know. Yeah. I... I describe myself as a sick person mm. chronically fully sick person fuck you dude <laughs> fuck you man uh, don't know but why like, we I both mean, turned into like football fans then <laughs> don't didn't love that didn't love it because <laughs> we both grew up being deep bogans babe yeah it's true just on opposite sides of the country um yeah cute yeah, no, it's the hierarchy of disability is, is such a bullshit concept, but it is a concept that is instilled in this ableist society that we live in. So, you know, again, it's a lot of this is all unlearning and imposter syndrome isn't the type of thing that you are going to get over one day and that's just going to be it. It is something that is like a, a daily sort of thing that we have to think about and try to unlearn bad habits that society has taught us about disability and all of that kind of stuff it's a it's a fun 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 game isn't it anyway I am very very excited because you have maybe a little uh woo woo update for quack 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 is it quack watch time it sure is oh my god we haven't done this in a little while a little while we haven't I'm so excited I've missed quack watch okay so this has come from the Mecca post that we were talking about before, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And someone on that post was, on the Yoni Oil post, mm-hmm. was sticking up for pseudoscience, which oh. I found okay. really strange. Yeah. <laughs> Just, I feel like pseudoscience doesn't need to be stuck up for, but that's, that's fine. You no. Um, yeah. and Plenty of peddlers they- out there. <laughs> They were problematically drawing together uh, non-Westernized forms of um, treating illness, Mm. which I found to be extremely problematic. Yeah. Problematic. 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 We speak French. (laughs) Welcome to the Chronically Ill Podcast. (laughs) Chronically Ill Podcast. We have the uh, uh, hurting body. (laughs) It's Chloe and Joel. We do sound like we've got quite French names, so I suppose our terrible accents can be... (laughs) Joe? Joanna. 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 Yeah. Wee, 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 I don't think it's the right time to be sticking up for pseudoscience gestures yeah. broadly at worldwide health crisis. Yeah. It does, um, the devil's advocate stuff does not need to be a thing right now. Like, there is a global no. pandemic happening, Sharon. Just sit down. Shut the sit fuck down. up. Yeah. Sit down. Sit down. Sit down. <laughs> um, so yes. I wanted to look up the history of pseudoscience, right? Mm. And I couldn't quite get there, although I did read some interesting stuff about phrenology. Oh, yeah. Um, the lumpy head science. Totally. Phrenology is, yeah, I've, I've done the 
the deep dive into phrenology quite a few years ago now, but I've done that too because it is so bizarre. So bizarre. I would really like us to go to phrenologists because I got a lumpy ass head. I've got dude. a lumpy head. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is, the old lumpy head. Ah, anyway. that's where the fibromyalgia is. Ah. <laughs> it's this specific lump. This in my lump head. right here. Yeah, that's it. So yeah, how did you begin? Did you just type into Google history of pseudoscience? <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. But then I was kind of reading the history of quackery, which we'll get into Mm. at some point. But I I was kind of thinking, where does the term snake oil salesman come from? Mm. Have you thought about this before? I never have, no. Yeah, it was just always one of those terms that has always been around. I've never even questioned who was selling the oil of the snake. Who was selling it? (laughs) Who was doing it? Which snake? Yeah. Well, mate, it turns out it's the Chinese water snake. Okay. So um, this sort of came about in the 1800s when thousands of Chinese workers arrived in the United States as indentured laborers, great, to work on the transcontinental railroad, right? Of course. Um, Amongst these items they brought with them to the States were various medicines, Mm -hmm. including a snake oil made from the oil of the Chinese water snake, which is rich in the omega-3 acids that help reduce inflammation. Snake oil in its original form was actually really effective when used to treat arthritis, aches and pains. So similarly Um, to the way they recommend like omega-3, like fish oil tablets and shit for... That kind yeah, of stuff maybe, now. or maybe it yeah. had like a kind of tiger balmy kind of effect because they'd rub it mm. on their joints on a oh, long after a long. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah, maybe right. they, maybe they um, took it orally as well. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, okay. But the story goes that the Chinese workers um, began sharing the oil with some of their American counterparts who mm-hmm. were really stoked with it. Oh, okay. Word of this spread throughout the United States. And, of course, in the United States, there's no Chinese water snakes down in the West. So many healers began using rattlesnakes to... Yeah. (laughs) Make their own versions of snake oil. The venom of the the rattlesnake? It's quite bad. So... Poisoning um, ourselves. In steps steps this guy um, called Clark Stanley, the self-crowned rattlesnake king... That so is in a badass fi- name. I don't know if you yeah. care what he's done. That is a badass motherfucking name. Anyway. You should look up a picture of him. He looks pretty. Does he look like good. the rattlesnake king? Yeah. Oh okay. yeah, he does. He does. Uh, <laughs> you've got yeah, you've got to have a particular type of look to be called the rattlesnake well, king. He's I got a handlebar mustache. Yes, goatee, he does. Of course, he does. Yes, yes. board brimmed hat, boots, kerchief, jeans, like oh. some cowboy shit. Love okay. It. Yeah. Uh, so, in a 50-page booklet published in 1897, the first 25 pages were just about cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> cool. 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 And like how sick and cool cowboys were. Yeah. And the remaining pages were dedicated to the wonders of snake oil. So, there I became acquainted with the medicine man of the Mulkey tribe. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Stanley wrote in his booklet. And as he liked the looks of my Colt revolver and asked me to show him how it would shoot, I gave him an exhibition of my fancy shooting, which pleased him very much. He then asked me... <laughs> Your accent is too much. Continue. How I would like to stay there and live with him. I told him I would stay until the snake dance. And after, <laughs> after witnessing the dance, his father's friend left, but Stanley decided to stay on 
And he lived with the Moki, um, I think that's the Halpi tribe these mm-hmm. days, for two years and five months. I learned their language and dances and the secret of making their medicines. So, right. and that's how he learnt to make the snake oil medicine in quotes. Wow. Um, now, he, after that, named Clark Stanley's snake oil liniment. Oh yeah, I'm looking uh, looking at an advert for it now from the London it's Arts pretty, and Health Forum. It's a guaranteed it's cure for rheumatism, whether acute, chronic, sciatic, neuralgic, or inflammatory. Fifty cents a bottle. Prepared. Mm, that's from a lot pure, back then. It was. Prepared mm. from pure rattlesnake oil, the only company in the United States that makes the genuine article, Snake Oil Liniment. It's mm. great. It's a great advert. It's very powerful. So in the 1893 World's Columbian Exhibition in Chicago, that's where the Ferris wheel actually made its international debut. That's pretty mm-hmm. cool. More than 25 million people went during the six months. Old Stanley got up dressed in his cowboy outfit and chucked around some snakes. Okay. And mm-hmm. this is what the routine was. The audience see me kill the snakes. Do you want me to do the accent? I don't really. <laughs> no, you don't have to. Draw be doing out the it. oil and put it into a, gla- a glass dish. Gather round, walk- ladies. Gather round. I don't then know I why walk I went. Down am- amongst do them and sh- the sh- show the dish to them. And then I go back and here is a big glass jar like you make orangeade in. Okay, I don't really know about that. Orangeade. Um, orangeade. First, I put the snake oil in and then I put nine other oils in which have previously been mixed in a can so that they don't see all of what my formula is. I pour that on top of the snake oil, turn the mixture around. If it doesn't mix thoroughly, it looks a little cloudy. I stir it again. Then I just let it set for a moment and it becomes clear. So what he kind of did there, he just <laughs> – there's this uh, report from the the fair um, mm. describing what he would do. He reached into a sack, plucked out a snake, slid it open and plunged it into boiling water – when the fat rose to the top, he skimmed it off and used it on the spot to create the snake oil. Right. That's so brutal. And people were like, it's, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Throw that <gasps> snake into that yeah. pot. Got that snake. People were hectic. Uh, so it fixes rheumatism, neurologists, lame, lame back, contracted muscles, sprains, swellings, frostbites, bruises, sore throat, bites of animals, insects and reptiles, good for man and beast, penetrates muscle, membrane and tissue to the very bone itself. So It's quite a lot of things, know, isn't it? Yeah, sure. Can you hear my dog barking? <laughs> I can, yeah. Hi, Babs. <laughs> Babs wants some snake oil. You said the word beast and Babs was like, yes. Mm. So guess what, Chloe? Mm. The snake oil didn't have any snake oil in it at all. Okay. Are you surprised? No. Like, I knew there was obviously something, but no, I didn't, I didn't know what it was going to be. <laughs> after seizing a shipment of Stanley snake oil in 1917, federal investigators found that it primarily contained mineral oil, a fatty oil believed to be beef fat. That would have smelled great. Oh. Red pepper and turpentine. Oh, so it was basically like um, caspation or whatever, however you say it. Like, you know, the chili cream you can get? So red pepper. Yeah. So people would be feeling it kind of stinging and go, ooh, it's working. Ooh, snaky, yeah. (laughs) Snaky. Mm. That's that's what I feel when I uh, put on the physio cream. I go, ooh, snaky. (laughs) 
Um, mm. So it was probably around then that snake oil became symbolic of fraud. Mm. Um, snake oil salesmen and traveling doctors became stock characters in American westerns. The first written usage of the phrase appeared in Stephen Vincent Bennett's epic 1927 poem, John Brown's Body, in which the poet refers to crooked creatures of a thousand dubious trades, sellers of snake oil balm and lucky rings. Wow. About 30 years later, a playwright, Eugene O'Neill, referred to snake oil in his 1956 play, The Iceman Cometh. I like this. When a character suggested that Arrival was standing on a street corner in hell right now, making suckers of the damned, telling them there's nothing like snake oil for a bad burn. Wow. I like to imagine Pete Evans in hell. Yeah, I know, because he is essentially this guy. Yeah, Um, exactly. Yeah, it's, it is bizarre to me because it's like a very early colonist mindset of cultural appropriation kind of thing as well. It's like we're going to steal this like ancient thing that these Chinese people have probably been doing for many, many years mm. and then take it but then make it into a completely fake product of that <laughs> and yeah. then bamboo- bamboozle everyone with it. Yeah, well, Typical you know, that's white what people shit. White, yeah, white people have been doing throughout history. Let's yeah. take something good and make it into nonsense. Yeah, it's a typical white person shit. So, uh, yeah, okay. That, um, so what do you think happened to the Rattlesnake King? I don't know. I hope it's something really good. No. Um, by he good, was fined I mean $20. That's oh. about $429 okay. um, for violating the Food and Drug Act and for misbranding his product by falsely and fraudulently representing it as a remedy for all pain. Mm. He did not dispute the charges. Yeah. He had to eat his, his own snakes as punishment. Really? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Mm, boiled snake for you for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's no. Wild. He just faded, faded into obscurity. Yeah. Well, that's a punishment within itself, isn't it? He isn't it? Was the, yeah, the king of the west, and then he became no one. That is fascinating. Because I always, uh, I always just assumed that it was that people were selling some. It did actually have something to do with snakes or like scales or something like that melted down into a, some kind of liniment, and then it was. It didn't actually do anything, but people thought it did the so, bottles look pretty cool of all the snake oil and iodine and iodine yeah, i know mm. iodine yeah no it's all very apothecary-ish very i wish cool. my medicine looked cool and fancy like perfume or something it does it looks like perfumes these days modern perfumes that's what these bottles look like it's yeah bizarre all of our medicines look like shit Twenty thousand billion blister packs in the drawer next to my bed yeah i just want to be addicted to like laudanum or something to what Laudanum, oh, an opiate they used back in the day, and they used to like, I think they used to drink it maybe oh. or, or sniff it. Put me putting it into a giant lace hanky monogrammed with my oh, initials and smelling yes. it like, like chloroforming yourself. Oh my god, I'd love to chloroform myself. <laughs> the dream. Ten <laughs> percent powdered opium by by weight. Lovely, lovely mm. gal. Oh, it remains available by, by prescription in the United States. That's Off nice. we go. Yep. <laughs> Off we pop. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, this uh, podcast is going to be on hiatus for a little while while Joe and I go and hunt down this uh, bizarre opioid medication. See, this is why they have a crisis in the United States because they've still got shit like that available. I know. <sighs> I just want to roofie myself. Is that so bad? <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
Probably. No judgment, Speaking please. of women in pain. Yes. There's um, some really good Spoonie hotlines this week. Our first Spoonie hotline is Sarah Ramey, who's just written a book called The Lady's Handbook for Her Mysterious Illness. So she's just gone through a near two-decade-long medical odyssey, constantly frustrated by physicians who did not recognize her symptoms. Too often they were ready to dismiss her complaints as being in her head rather than her body, a prevalent and unfortunate prejudice of the medical establishment towards female patients. The book described by Goodreads as a page-turning medical mystery that reveals a new understanding of today's illnesses. Um, She's also a musician known as Wolf Larson and from what I can gather has a nice little potpourri of... uh, illnesses going on we chronic fatigue pots huge mood. Cro- um chronic regional pain syndrome mm-hmm. ellis danlos mast cell activation syndrome and some others so she's really got the bingo going on there oh yeah so let's just bring that up she's doing a reading for us this episode um mm-hmm. i saw her book on twitter and i got in touch with her and asked her to read a little section for us on the spoonie hotline so here's sarah The following scene is unfolding in an office in your town every day, perhaps right now at this very moment. Jane Doe crosses her ankles in the waiting room, absently turning the pages of People magazine. She looks around often, now at the oversized clock, now at the receptionist, now at the generic watercolors on the walls. Ms. Doe, a flat voice, calls out, Dr. Bowles, we'll see you now, second door on the left. Jane takes a seat in the doctor's office regarding the diplomas on the wall. On the desk stands a life-size replica of the human intestinal tract. When Dr. Bells bustles in, he introduces himself for, whoops, excuse me. (laughs) He introduces himself as he looks over her chart for what is clearly the first time. Now, Ms. Doe, he says cheerfully, what can I do for you? The interaction begins very seriously. A furious scribbling of notes, a furrowing of the brow, and a lot of nodding. The usual diseases are ruled out, and Jane confirms she has been tested twice for everything under the sun. Her primary symptoms, at least for this appointment, are severe constipation, distension, and pain in the lower left quadrant of her abdomen. As the doctor pages through her very thick medical file, Jane takes the opportunity to share some of the stranger non-bell symptoms she's experienced. Aching in the bones and muscles, fatigue, itching, unexplained gynecologic symptoms, memory problems, lower back pain. But the words are scarcely out of her mouth before she wishes she had kept her addenda to herself. She can see the red flags rising behind his eyes and the note-taking slowly tapers off. Before she knows it, where once Sherlock Holmes scribbled furiously, hot on the trail, bent on solving her mystery, he now leans back in his swivel chair, tip of his pen in the corner of his mouth, checking his watch. His look is saturated with understanding, for he has solved the case. What we have here is not a rare tropical disease, Watson. What we have here is an unhappy woman badly in need of an antidepressant. I probably should have said my name. So my name is Sarah Ramey, and I wrote a book called The Lady's Handbook for Her Mysterious Illness. And it's about uh, probably all the illnesses that you guys talk about on your show. 
the invisible illnesses like chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, a lot of autoimmune diseases, uh, multiple chemical sensitivity, mast cell activation syndrome, Ehlers-Danlos, POTS, you know the list. Um, it's a family of illnesses, and the things they have in common are uh, quite a lot of symptom overlap. Um, they predominantly affect women, which is why I wrote about it in a gendered way, because I, you know, spoiler, I'm pretty sure that's why they're treated like shit. And the last thing that I was going to say that they all have in common is they're all treated like shit. <laughs> and I do think that that has to do with number two. Um, so that's what the book is about. Thanks for having me on. Can't wait to listen to your podcast. Bye. Mood. Huge mood. Uh, thank you so much, Sarah. I cannot wait to pick up a copy of your book. It sounds absolutely amazing. Yeah, I hearing you read out that last sentence, it's just like, here is a, what was it, a desperate woman, no, a, a sad woman desperately in need of an antidepressant. Oh, oh God, wow. that hit me hard. <laughs> this will be totally familiar to um, a lot of women and a side female at birth people like oh my god yeah <laughs> oh yeah to majority of our listeners i dare say so yes thank you so much for doing that reading sarah that was that was brilliant absolutely and our next caller will be liza hello fellow sickies um i would like some advice um this is a spoony snippet that i send in about Three months ago, I just realized, um, and then, you know, was angrily ranting into a small hurricane, apparently, because it was um, impossible to hear or play. So it's just taken me a fuckload long time to re-record it because, yeah, life, yeah. Um, so there's a bit of a backstory to this and it's gotten a lot less angry and severe in the last few months, which is good, but mostly it's a bit of a rant and a big, big question for advice. So I'm sick. I've been sick all my life. I've got some, you know, amazing luck on the genetic draw that made my immune system absolute fucking bullshit. And... While other things come and go, the fallout from that is fibro, chronic fatigue, medically induced PTSD, IBS, the list goes on. But I've been sick all my life. This is what I know. Um, and other things come and go. <clears throat> so my partner has been one of the healthiest motherfuckers I've met in my life. Um, we've been together for years. Um, and it's literally been to the point where I get sick. I'm literally at home huddling in a bath gown, crying, snot, unable to talk and just like a slug beast in, in a puddle uh, in my bed. And, you know, he'll just come over after work, make me hot whiskey, cuddle up in bed, pat me on the head and be just fine. Like he doesn't get sick. He doesn't catch any of that shit, which was Adorable and really annoying, but mostly adorable. Um, however, since about a year ago, he started getting really ill um, in sort of like a chronic bullshit, undiagnosable style. And we've been trying to work out what's going on. 
So for someone that's never been to hospital, that hasn't even had a blood test in their life, suddenly being in and out of different units in the hospital, having to do MRIs, being investigated from anything from cancer to MS to long COVID, like he's seriously freaked out, which is fucking fair enough. And we have no idea what's going on. He's got things like his cognition's going. Sometimes he can't talk. He might be having mini strokes. His handshake, he knocks shit over. It's really impacting how he can work. Um, it's fucked. Like, he's he's really ill. Um, but every time he gets a blood test or anything, he's still on paper just healthy as fuck but in reality he feels like he's dying he's terrified he's not getting any help and he's scared shitless now you'd think that I could absolutely relate to this because you know this is my life I'm chronically fucking ill and getting diagnoses is an absolute bullshit journey but he's completely new to this and less so now but definitely the start of the year and towards the end of last year he was an absolute cunt about this shit like he just flipped his shit at me out of nowhere and was like I'm the one person that can relate to your shit like why would you do this um and it's it's at the point where like if something went wrong, he can't remember something or, you know, we have an argument over something really fucking dumb. He's much happier to blame that shit on my health than even consider that something might be wrong with his, which I find really hard to deal with because my brain fog and my memory impairment scares the shit out of me. That being an easy out for someone else just makes me angry as a concept. It's fucked. So... Yeah, I just, I yeah, I don't really know what to do about this. Like we've come to bit, we've come to more of an understanding, but it's it's still a long way to go. Um, I know I've been an insufferable cunt, so I don't really feel like I can just tell him to fuck off and leave and leave him alone in this because. I have people that help me through this shit, and he's been one of the key ones. But I also don't want to continuously get kicked in the teeth, and I'm fucking exhausted. So there needs to be some way we can work on this shit together rather than against each other. And I've, as I said, I've been sick all my life. I don't remember what it was like to begin with, and I'm wondering, does anyone else remember what they were? <clears throat> Sorry, this is fucking emotional what they were like when when they first got sick. Like, is being an insufferable asshole just normal? Because it's destroying everything around you, so one thing you can actually control? Or, I don't know. And if this is the case, how did you snap out of it? How did you come to terms with this shit? How did, how did you stop being a destructive dick? Yeah, I don't know. I want to be there for him and sometimes I just don't know how and it makes it really hard to be there for myself too. Yeah. Anyway, if anyone else has just 
advice on how to help someone come to terms with being a spoonie, I would love to hear it. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, mate, that mm. that sounds absolutely rough. There's I thank you like, for sharing that yeah. with us. It, I know that that was tough for you to talk about. Yeah, that is not an easy situation, and I think. Both of I you. do love it when people call call us up and just curse heaps. Yeah, and they're just like, yeah, <laughs> fuck! Yes, yeah. <laughs> Truly, though, like, if someone just called up and just went, fuck! I'd be like, yeah, huge mood, fair enough. Yeah, um, seems good. Yeah, mate, that is a that is a tough-ass situation. Um, I, was an, I was definitely an absolute cunt when I first started getting symptoms um, of being chronically ill because I didn't know what was going on. And I think it's that loss of control and that anger at your own body for betraying you, essentially, mm. that makes you, yeah, just act out because you, you feel like you've completely lost control over everything else. The, you know, unconscious logic of why he's blaming your health over his own is because that's the chronic condition that he knows best. He knows yours better mm. than he does his own. <clears throat> the only thing that really I can think of in terms of advice is that he probably needs to try to go to a... Um, go to a GP and get them to send him to a chronic pain clinic of some kind so he can talk to a pain um, psychologist about it because um, they even if you don't have a diagnosis of what's wrong and that kind of stuff, the a pain psychologist can actually help you deal with a lot of um, anger and resentment and all of, all of those feelings that your partner is probably feeling and they sort of help give you coping mechanisms to help you sort of put into place in everyday stuff and sort of help you move towards um, acceptance in terms of your daily life and experiences. Yeah, that's that's all I can really think. But fuck, that is – it's not an easy situation, mate. That whole situation where you were saying about on paper he's fine but he feels like he's dying, mm. I can totally get around. I also can't imagine never having had a blood test. That's like yeah. wild that to wild. me. Slug in a bathrobe, oh my uh, God. hard relate. <laughs> yeah, slug in a bathrobe in a puddle, I think is, yeah. what, is what you said. That was, I snorted when you said that. It was, that was just such an accurate description of how I feel 99% of the time. <laughs> I feel like yeah. a dried, you know those, <laughs> you know how back in the 90s you used to see white dog poo around the place and you oh. don't see it anymore? Yeah, why don't you see it anymore? That's I don't so know. weird. Are we just feeding our dogs better? I don't I know. I think it might be bone in there or something that's dried out. Maybe people Ooh. aren't feeding their dog bone. Bones as I much anymore. don't want to talk about this. I don't want to. Anyway, <laughs> I feel like one of those in a bathrobe, one of those yeah. dried out white dog poos in well, a bathrobe. I mean, this week, you did message me one day going, My shit is literally black. And I messaged you back saying, I think that's probably because you've started taking iron tablets. And you went, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, what happens when you get a diagnosis, in my experience, is there's a period of grief and I think that's what he's dealing with at the moment. And if you he think about it through all those motions over and over again. Exactly. Cyclical. And if you think about it as grief, it, it kind of gets a bit bit easier to understand. So technically really the well part of him has died. Yeah. That's the way um, I always thought about it too, where it's like you're grieving the loss of like a previous life almost. But you don't And know- you're worried you're worried about 
all the things that you wanted and planned mm. for, those things feel like they're probably vanishing in front of him at the moment. Yeah. Because and you also this- don't you're also really confused. Like you don't know if any of that will happen or not. You don't know what your body's doing. So it's not like you can put things into place to help yourself in the future or anything like that because you have no idea what's going on. So on top of all of this grief, you're also confused as fuck. Um, Mm. Not to say that what he's, uh, the way he's uh, reacting to you trying to help and all of that kind of stuff is positive in any way because it's not and it sucks. It's an explanation, not an excuse. Absolutely, yeah. Um, You actually aren't his number one support person you feel guilty because he's supported you throughout your illness in the past but he was also a well person trying to do that Mm. I think you're being a bit hard on yourself here um you don't need to take on all of this you're probably going to neglect your own health and not do a great job anyway because you don't have capacity to do it yeah we can only do what our what our bodies allow us to do and I think once once your partner has sort of maybe spoken to someone about his own situation and grief and all and had some coping mechanisms uh, put in place for himself, maybe have a conversation about how you guys can best look after each other that isn't going to make each other worse. Um, He needs his own support system and not just you. So I'll echo what Chloe said and direct him towards seeing a counsellor that specialises in chronic illness or chronic pain and other sort of online support groups and that kind of thing can be really valuable. Um, Having another community to speak to that isn't just you about about that because it is, Mm -hmm. you know, extremely frightening and confusing. But yeah. That doesn't give anyone an excuse to be abusive or aggressive, though, I will say that. Yeah. Sorry. Well, the the cops are coming to get you. The cops are coming for me. (laughs) Oh, no. Not again. A cab. A cab. A cab. A cab. Bastards. So, but if anyone has any more advice on this one, call back and and um, address Liza's call if you if you feel like you have something to add as well. Yeah. But if anyone else has been in a similar situation, because I mean, I'm we're just uh, suggesting things that we think might be helpful that we've experienced from our just from our own experiences. But if you've been in the situation of caring for someone while also being a spooning yourself, that would yeah, especially with out, someone with a new diagnosis, that would just yeah. be so exhausting, so knackering, absolutely. Mm. And I'll, we'll play one more final call because they started talking about cytokines and I was like, oh, no, is someone going to call us out on our bullshit? Uh-oh. I hate accountability. Uh-oh. <laughs> I, hate being this account- is- I hate being held accountable. Yeah, this is cancel culture at work. Oh, no. I'm going to go get a job at the Australian. So this next call is from Mira. Sup, bitches. My pseudonym's Almira and my pronouns are they, them. I've called to talk about cytokines and the link between psychological trauma and chronic pain. The paradigm seems to be that pain associated with mental illness is psychosomatic or all in the mind, which simply isn't true. Uh, This paradigm can contribute to us receiving insufficient care from medical professionals and gaslighting from people in our lives, from doctors to bosses to partners who think that our physical pain isn't real. My diagnosis is a PTSD and fibromyalgia. I've been living with both conditions for about five years. Uh, With Australia's shithouse medical system, many of you are aware that we have to be the masters of our own treatment, so that's why I've learned all this shit that I'm about to share with you. The first couple of points I'd like to make are regarding the myths that there's hardly any research on fibromyalgia and that there's no way to test for it aside from being painfully prodded by a rheumatologist. There actually is a good chunk of research on fibro and chronic pain, and when doctors tell us that we know nothing about it, they're usually just repeating what they learnt in a uni lecture like 20 years ago. 
Also, there is a cytokine test for fibromyalgia. Doctors don't bring this up either, probably because they're not even aware of it, or because naturally Medicare doesn't cover the testing. Anyway, what's a cytokine? They aren't the only player in the chronic pain game, but they seem to be a major one. Basically, they're little protein peptides that tell cells what to do. They're concerned with immunoregulation. In fibromyalgia, we have too many pro-inflammatory cytokines and not enough anti-inflammatory cytokines. This leads to immune dysregulation and explains why fibromyalgia is often inaccurately described as an autoimmune disorder. Although it has many overlapping symptoms and it does affect our immune responses, it's a condition of the central nervous system. Fibromyalgia doesn't damage our muscles or fascia either. It just makes them act like fuckwits. Regarding the media excitement that fibromyalgia patients are less likely to develop long COVID symptoms, uh, the framing that it's a benefit of having fibromyalgia really, <laughs> really grinds my gears. It's, it's not true. The reason that we're not getting long COVID symptoms is because we already have them. We already have this cytokine storm. Anyway, plenty of things can cause this cytokine imbalance. Generally, it's things where your body has to adapt to an issue for a while. It could be a virus or a major injury, for example. But how can psychological trauma cause this imbalance? Studies show that people with PTSD develop this cytokine imbalance as a way to adapt to the cortisol's stress hormone that's flooding through our bodies on a long-term basis. This also explains why people with PTSD can experience physical pain as a result of being startled or stressed. Our bodies are already working in a cycle of cortisol equals cytokine release equals a pain flare-up. Not only are we being flooded with peptides that cause inflammation, another major reason for our pain is the increased excitability of those awful little bitches, the dorsal horn nerves of the spine. These motherfuckers begin to decide that everything hurts. Their physical shape changes in a way that makes their surface area increase. So not only are they going to decide that inane input is painful, but it's far more intense than you would expect as well, the pain. That's why, for example, someone bumping into the chair that you're sitting on can be extremely painful. The dorsal horns just become highly offended by inane input. A lot of the rest of our pain comes from the fascia, the connective web that holds our muscles in place. The fascia releases a shit ton of the pro-inflammatory cytokines in response to strain. But of course, for us, strain can be something like lifting a cup of tea to our mouth. People often put our pain from inane input down to being deconditioned and lacking strength. However, this isn't the case. It's about our body's maladapted physiological responses to input. Anyway, as far as dealing with this, it's still up in the air, but some promising avenues have been identified. So far, ketamine seems to be something that will downregulate pro-inflammatory cytokines. Soft tissue wear, for example, trigger point release or rolfing can also reduce them. Of course, our bodies are still producing more of them, so you can see why this is a mitigating treatment and not a cure. Anyway, that'll do for now. As always, there's so much more that can be said, but I hope that's been interesting and informative, especially for anyone else out there with the spicy deja vu who's gaslit about the pain that comes along with it. Catches. Oh, Mira, that was absolutely bloody amazing. Thank you so much for that. They just that taught was... me more about fibro than 10 years of doctors have. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> exactly like Mira said, it was every single doctor has told me we don't know much about fibro, there's no tests for it, and that is that is just unbelievable. So there's – but I've, you I know told what? you there was a test, I told you. Yeah, but it was like that's mind-blowing to me, and it's – also mind-blowing, well, it is not surprising at all, sorry, that it is not covered on the PBS, that test. Mm. Shocker. Mm. Shocker. Yeah, wow. It is annoying I'm blown that, away. Um, it is annoying, like they were saying, that that article framed us being 
immune to COVID somehow when it was just in fact we already have the cytokine storm happening inside of our bodies. We already have long COVID. Yeah, we already have the worst case scenario of COVID. Oh, no, actually, no, the worst case scenario is death. But, you know, we already have (laughs) like a pretty bad, a pretty bad um, situation from COVID. But, you know... We were, yeah, we've already got it. That's great. That's great. One of the other explanations I really liked in that was um, fibro doesn't manage our fascia or muscles. It just makes them fuckwits. Fuckwits, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Speak truth. Absolutely speak truth. Yeah, that was absolutely brilliant, Mira. Thank you so much. Can you call call us back and tell us more about everything? Everything? You're way smarter (laughs) than us. Mira, can you please be my doctor? Thank you. Mira, can you just please take over this podcast? Yeah, Mira. It's your podcast now, Mira. Yeah, it's yours now, babe. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's good to know that the investigations around ketamine regulating the inflammatory response are still, that's, that's still going on. To me, that seems like something that, really does need to be completely explored mm. and i i will note that you know it doesn't work for everyone but there's constantly people trying to get access to trying that out and i really wish that it was a lot easier for people i think you can only mm. do that through a pain clinic or something like that but yeah see i actually it was one of the things that i sort of brought up when i went to a pain clinic and it was uh, to get into the trials if you were in sydney at that point it was just impossible so Mm. I'd be really curious if there are any listeners that have gone through ketamine trials or uh, done anything in that space please feel free to send us a voice memo to chronicallyfullysick at gmail.com yeah and let us know because I'm I'm really really interested in in all of the ketamine stuff but it's from from my experience it's mainly been people desperately trying to get into these trials and not being able to so I'll try I'll try and I'll get like um like we were saying a bane kind of suit with ketamine in it and I'll just oh have a button God, on my yes. chest and be like yeah, and it's like that um the Batman movie where po- poison ivy is just like yes bane go and I'll just mm. like pump you full of ketamine all the time yeah that'd be sick you'll be in Down a permanent club <laughs> just great. into club into club <laughs> great all right well you're going to the club I'm going to bed okay Well, no. editing this episode is going to be really fucking yeah, fun. Yeah, I'm so sorry. You're, you've got a nightmare ahead of you. All right. Well, that was episode 16. I hope you um you all enjoyed. Thank you so much for sending in Spoonie Hotlines. Please continue to do so. Please, um, you're propping up our show. <laughs> <laughs> you know more than us. Please keep proving that. We love you. Mwah, mwah, right. mwah, mwah. We love you guys. Bye. My body. <laughs>